going to have you go with me over to Zechariah, this uh, series scripture we're using from Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. And this is from the English Standard Version, the ESV. It says, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Would you say that scripture with me? Say, Therefore, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you. Sounds a lot like draw near God, and he'll what? He'll draw near to you. I want to be clear at the outset today, when I say the altar, what exactly is the altar and what happens there? Very simply put, the altar is a place where you meet God. The altar is a place where you connect with God, and that is privately and publicly. And there's no question right now between religion and pandemics and coldness, the production and the use of the altar has waned in the modern church. And in fact, it's a big part of our spirituality that's become neglected by many Christians. And what I'll tell you this is the public altar is often a reflection of the private altar. If the private altar is not intact, then you don't have much interest in the public altar. There's not much interest in meeting with God publicly if we don't have an appetite to meet with Him privately. At the same time, the preached Word of God, the communication from God is powerful. And that communication, that power is only released when we receive it and then act upon it. A service in a spirit-filled church would typically go something like this. You'd have worship, you'd have prayer, you'd have an offering. There is an unofficial, unwritten liturgy, but there is, how many know there is a liturgy to even a church like ours? It's just what you do. And uh, typically that uh, the message would go forth and then there would be a response time. And more and more and more in the modern church of Christ, you don't see that the way it should be. People write that off as religion, and I'll explain to you today that it's not just religion, it's not just a man-made thing, even though Finney excelled at what we call an altar call. There's more to the altar than an altar call. And um, what, you, what you find out is, not only is it uh, not so commonplace, because we're more interested in making people as comfortable as possible and typically, altars aren't designed to be comfortable. We'll get to the why of that in a moment. But to, to set this up for you, there's not only not the commonplace, the use of the altar, people are desensitized to its importance. So even today, you could hear a life-changing message and not have the appetite to respond and go to the altar. What I'm saying is, you need to return to the altar privately. And you need to return to the altar publicly. Say it with me, privately and publicly. Because there are amazing things that God does at the altar. In fact, you can't meet with God at a private or public altar and not have Him touch your life. It's just not possible. Everybody has heroes in the faith. I ran into one of mine when I was in seminary, and I was called by the Office of Information or the PR office 
uh, to, to serve in giving tours of the building and literature requests and interacting with guests as they came from literally all over the world to see the production facilities at our headquarters, to see the different offices that supplied uh, you know, ministry, whether it was men's ministry or missions, whatever. And um, I ran into a man who became the, the secretary, the treasurer of the entire movement, and uh, his name was Tom Trask. And when he came there, uh, the previous treasurer had resigned, and the executive board, 13 members at that time, uh, sat down in committee, and they decided that they felt like this person would be good as an interim before there was an election. And so the current superintendent at that time, G. Raymond Carlson, called him up and said, this board would like you to step in for Brother Hudson. And he goes, well, I'm going to pray about that. Say that with me, I'm going to pray about that which is how he directed his entire life, by what God said. And uh, Carlson said, you have until 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay, because they need to know, they need to have an answer. And he felt that was, was God's will for him. I ran into him because I got a call that there was a couple from Detroit, Brightmore Tabernacle, where he had pastored, was coming in that day. And they wanted a tour, and he wanted to make sure that he had a chance to greet them. And so... Uh, I found out when they were coming that particular time, nobody else came for that tour. You say, sometimes with the tour group's big, I gave up the tours of 40, 50, sometimes 60 people that came by from everywhere. Uh, we had a tour one time, and uh, I was taking them on the third floor where the executive offices are in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, there's an office that has a plaque there that says Secretariat, and that's what they do in keeping track of the ministers and the churches and all the, the vital statistics, where it's finances, um, or the ministers or the churches and what they're doing and all the statistics. And so I'm taking this big group there and I stop right there and I'm just about to explain what this office is. And this lady looks at me and then she looks at that plaque and she looks at me and she looks at that plaque. And the more she looks at me, the more horrible her face is. Now she's angry in this tour group. And she spoke up right before I could say anything. She said, I didn't think we supported horse racing in this church. And there you have a plaque in honor of secretariat. And I wanted to say, lady, how dumb can you be? Yeah. <laughs> that was just part of it. Brightmore Tabernacle had this couple come by. He wanted to meet them. And so I said, okay. I said, but what if you're in executive session? He goes, just stick your head in the door and, and I'll come out. And I did. And the assistant superintendent saw my head sticking in there. <laughs> and I got the dirtiest look I ever had in my life from an executive. And so I just kind of popped back out. But he saw me and he came out. And this is what he did. Uh, you want to stand there for a minute? Everybody say the altar. This, this is just his way. Um, Minnesota and, uh, and, and Michigan is where he grew. So this was his way. And then he kissed you on each cheek and hug you. Let me try. That was fun. Let me do that again on the other side. Okay, you can sit down now. <laughs> He's known as the... Uh... Yes, thank you very much for that. You, you have been cheeked. Amen. <laughs> and that was just his way with people. The interesting thing was, as I went through the publishing plant, sometimes the hymnals that came out didn't come out just exactly perfect, and they wouldn't sell them. There was nothing really wrong with them. And I thought, well, here comes a white batch. I'll grab one of those and see if he'll sign that for them on the way up. And so when I got up there, I introduced, uh, you know, this couple. This is your couple, and uh, they're here to, to, to see you. I handed him the book. He was going to sign it for him. He did exactly that to this couple. Uh, love them, embrace them like they were the queen and the king of the world. And I found out later on they'd only been to his church for six months. But he stepped out of executive session just to greet these people. 
just to love on them. And I say that to you because I want you to understand the connection between the altar, private and public, and your ability to walk at a high level of loving and kindness towards all people. His greatest legacy, to my, in my opinion, will always be the way he has loved others. Now, don't make any mistake, he was very sharp as administrator. The first thing he did as treasurer was cut every budget 20%. He was popular at headquarters. <laughs> he had a $5 million deficit when he took over. You know what his response was? His response was to call the prayer meeting for all of the headquarters staff who would come at 7 o'clock in the morning, I think it was on Tuesdays, and prayed that God would intervene. He did the 20%, but he also called everybody together. And you know what God did in a short amount of time? He removed that debt from the headquarters uh, operation. When he got there, they had to borrow money to make payroll. Some of you business people know what that's like. But by the time he got done going to the altar, there was no more debt in that particular ministry. A few things he said through the years about, men, about the altar. Eventually, he wrote a book called Back to the Altar, he said there are 42,000 religions and associated gods in the world. Did you know that? 42,000. But he said there's only one that's known for answering prayer. Isaiah described them as totem poles with eyes and ears. They can't hear and see. They're just wood. And the other side of the wood, you throw it into the fire and warm yourself with it. But whose God answers prayer? Come on, say, my God is the only God who answers prayer. And if you don't believe that, talk to the prophets of Baal who cried all day long to Baal and got nothing. And the prophet mocked him and said, uh, is he going tinkle? Do you need a bathroom break? Where is your God? But when he called upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God answered with fire. Because your God is the God that answers. In fact, he said this, and it just struck my spirit so strongly, God loves to answer prayer. He said it's his very nature to do so. Say it with me, God, God loves, loves to answer prayer. Maybe religion or your experience has taught you, well, you never know what God's going to do, and he'll hold out on you. You know, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he won't answer you for years and years and years. That's not what the word teaches. If you're a right relationship with him and you go to him, God loves to answer prayer. Say it like this, God loves to answer my prayer. This man became the national leader of this entire movement, the general superintendent. And I knew that was going to happen because when I walked away from his office that day with that couple, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, this man will become the general superintendent of this movement. And he did. And did a phenomenal job. But again, his greatest legacy was that he was an altar man in private and in public. He said things like this, the church moves on prayer. Well, if that's true, then guess what? It won't move without it. He came to Brightmore Tabernacle, and there was a church of 600, and they, that's pretty big, of course, even for a city like that. It's, it's a great work. And they said, but you know, Pastor, don't emphasize Wednesday nights. We're not sure what we want to do Wednesday nights. We have prayer meeting. Only 67 people come out of 600 that are called, that come here on a Sunday morning. He says, I'm not going to have a prayer meeting for those that aren't there. I'm going to have a prayer meeting for those that are there. Amen. And we're going to pray and see God's face. He said, within a couple of years, there are a thousand people coming to Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
Now, as we transition this summer that way, it's been a long time coming, I don't want you to get into the habit of saying that's just a prayer meeting. Or we just want to hear teaching. Because that's all the important. But things happen at the altar that won't happen any other way in your life. And the public altar is important. Say it with me, a thousand people showed up just to pray? Well, no wonder Brightmore Tabernacle exploded. No wonder it caught the attention, you know, of our national leaders. What I want you to see today is that this is, it becomes, you know, a matter of revelation and then practice. One of my favorite quotes is he said, the devil doesn't care if you sing about prayer, talk about prayer, write about prayer. What he trembles at is when you pray. How many like to make the devil tremble just a little bit more? Amen. How many tired of him picking on you? Say it with me, my private altar and the public altar. Glory to God. He said you can change your life, your family, your church if you'll become a person of prayer. He said what happens in your life is a direct proportion to your prayer life. Think about that. That's not cause for condemnation. That's cause for what? Change. Pick up and go on. The altar is where God transforms us by transforming what? Us in his presence, and in doing so, things change. We like to pray that things would change. God's favorite answer to prayer is the answer to change you. Amen? Look at somebody say, the altar primarily changes you. The altar is a place, first of all, where we consecrate ourselves. The reason the altar is not a comfortable place is because it's a place originally of death. Aren't you glad Jesus died for you and for me? We speak of an altar in a church like ours, an evangelical church, a spirit-filled church, but you know, there's no table here with the sacraments on that. There's, there's no place where we kill animals in the middle of the night. We don't need the blood of an animal. We have the blood of Jesus that transformed us, amen, and redeemed us. We don't have that, but figuratively and metaphorically, we do. But what it really means is there's a place where we go, we consecrate ourselves, we dedicate ourselves. Our will is no longer supreme. And we say, you know what, not, my, not me that lives, God, but you live in me and through me. That's what happens. Every time you go to a private altar or a public altar, that should be your heart's cry. Not more of you, but what? But less of you and more of him. It's a place where we transform. The altar is the crucible for transformation. If you want to change, you'll do it at the altar of prayer, privately and corporately. Number three, it's a place where we decide. A place that we decide what? Things like, as for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord at an altar. Number four, it's a place where we are restored. Rodney hinted at it earlier, but uh, the numbers of people healed and delivered and baptized in the Holy Ghost, even a church like ours, we can't even calculate the miracles that have taken place. People who have received supernatural, instantaneous miracles and progressive miracles because it's a place where God will restore you. What you need to know is you can have that restoration every day privately and not just publicly. Do you know that the same anointing that shows up in a public altar service is the same Holy Ghost that shows up at your private altar? 
If you can have restoration in an altar in a church, you can have restoration privately in your bedroom. If you'll have that mindset. Amen. Wherever you happen to have that altar is where you can have deliverance and healing. If you don't program yourself to think, well, it can only happen here or it only happens at certain places or certain ministries. No. The same anointing that's at a public altar is at a private one. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Number five, it's a place where we fellowship. It's where we commune with God. The altar is a place where we meet God. And have you noticed this nation needs to meet God more than it ever has before? What's the answer to the problems in this country? Jesus. What's going to facilitate the movement of His Spirit? A thing called prayer, privately and publicly. Privately and corporately. Turn to somebody and say, the altar is where it begins. The question is, privately, or if I stop right now and gave an altar call, and your chest is thumping, the Spirit of God is dealing with you, but instead of responding, you just stay there. Whether it's a call for healing or a call for salvation or a call to reach the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a call for some special prayer area, you, you, have your, you know God is talking to you, but you just sit there. Why would people do that? Why would they know when prayer is powerful, as the video indicated, they would not seek God privately? Why would they do that? There are a lot of reasons. Let me give you some of them. One is pridefulness. We're self-sufficient. I have need of nothing. I don't need to be down there. That's for people that are weak. That's for people, you know, that aren't doing very well. That's for people that have problems. Those are for people that, that have failed. No, it's not. It's for smart people. The altar is for smart people. Because they know that God can do in five seconds what it takes a lifetime through other mechanisms to do. Smart people. Come on, say it. Smart people. Wise people go to the altar. That doesn't mean you have to be responding to every single thing that happens. Some people are like that. And some churches are like that. Everybody, every time. Well, that's the extreme on the other side. But if he's dealing with you, you should say to yourself, I'm not going to be prideful about this. I don't care what anybody thinks. It takes us really to the second one, which is fearfulness, the opinions of people. You know, the Bible says that the fear of man disables. you got something going on in your life, and it's a, a guest speaker, one of our speakers in the house, one of our leaders, you know, whether it's Dr. Barkley or me and, and, or Tammy, you get a, you get a chance to respond to something and God is talking to you. You need to jump all over. That was a divine appointment. How many divine appointments have people missed because of pridefulness or fear of opinions? When God was going to do something for them. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, return to the altar. And fear kept you back. Pride kept you back. What will they think if I go down? Who cares what they think? They're not living your life. They don't know what you need. And most of them, if they did, they don't care. But God does. I'm trying to challenge you. If private prayer, if that altar is not functioning, then start over again. If you've not been responsive to the altar because you've gotten the habit, for whatever reason, to begin to respond when God moves. And let him touch your life. Amen. I love it with God. You know, we can mess up royally, but he still loves us. Amen. We can get cold and hard towards things, but he still loves us and wants us back. And I'm telling you right now, he's not done with you. 
Number three is coldness, which means indifference to the things of the Spirit, indifferent to the altar, spiritual apathy instead of thirst. There's no real spiritual temperature about you. When you get cold, you don't want a private altar. When you get cold, you don't want to participate in the public altar. And, and, you know, when you get cold, as soon as there's an amen, you want to shoot out of that door and beat everybody out of the parking lot. No, I went and done insulted some of you, didn't I? No. Everybody say, it's okay. He's anointed to metal. That's what he does. Amen. <laughs> But when you're hot for God, you kind of want to linger. Other times when you got to go, you got to go. Like our puppy right now, when he has to go, he has to go all the time, everywhere. Sometimes you have things you have to take care of. When you find yourself completely detaching week after week, month after month, year after year, there's a coldness there. You need that fire lit again on the inside of you to where you value this. Amen? Number four is hardness. If we won't respond to the tug of the Holy Spirit to come to the altar in church, listen, it's unlikely we'll respond to his tug when we leave church. If we can't respond here, we probably won't respond at the private altar. And then last is something no one in this room is ever familiar with or ever guilty of, sinfulness. <laughs> Anybody here ever sin? How many glad you're forgiven? How many glad you've been made righteous? Amen. How many glad the, the penalty's been paid? Yes, it has. Despite the gift of righteousness, despite our right standing with God, sin will still strip you of spiritual passion and desire. The more you're engaged in something you shouldn't be engaged in, you'll lose your desire for the private and the public altar. And you're stuck just kind of going through the motions at that point. God doesn't need us going through the motions right now. Amen. To whom much is given, much is required. And a word church, a spirit-filled church has been given much. And God is expecting much out of us. And the way you tap into that flow is like private and that public altar. Amen? So what do you do if you're engaged in something you shouldn't be engaged in? Thinking something you shouldn't be thinking. Holding on to a grudge. You repent. Watch God restore, you know, that desire for the life of the altar. Take Abraham as an example. He spent a lifetime building altars. How many know we can learn something from Abraham today? For example, he built an altar of praise in Genesis 12, 1 through 7. The Bible literally says that he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. God appeared to him and his natural response was to praise him and to build an altar. And how many understand it takes some time and labor and effort to do the altar the way they did that? It just wasn't drop your knees and pray. It was a connecting point. You and I understand that it's, it's the presence of God that is, uh, you know, the, the concept of omnipresence tells us that you can meet with him really anywhere their revelation is limited. So what they would do is, you know what, I'm going I'm to build this altar and God's going to meet with me here. It shows you the heart, doesn't it? I mean, some people can't walk five paces down into an altar and wherever he goes, he's building one just to talk to God. What if you have to build one of these before you could pray? <laughs> Amen. Underneath here is an extension cap 
that when this cap is taken off here in a few months, you'll see complete wraparound uh, staircase. Very nicely done, and that means every, every component from here to there will be a place of prayer. Can I have a good amen? Can I have a better amen than that? And no matter where you are, it's going to be a place where you can just go and be with him and connect with him in a, in a, in a public sense. In Genesis 12, 8 and 9, he built an altar of prayer. Bible says from there he went on forward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and uh, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Said he called on the name of the Lord. He built an altar of praise and he built an altar of prayer. Thirdly, he built an altar of promise. In Genesis 13, the Bible says in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I'll give you to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, and where he pitched his tents. And listen to this, and there he built an altar to the Lord. His response to a great promise was to what? Go back to the altar. Amen? How many can imagine he, he praised him again and thanked God? And expectation grew in his heart. Say it with me. He built an altar of praise, an altar of prayer, an altar of promise, and an altar of, number four, provision. You know in Genesis 22 that God said, take your one and only son that you had to believe me for, and I want you to take him up, and I want you to sacrifice him. He was just about to do that. The Bible says Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Before he could carry through with this, we hear the angel of the Lord calling out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw an animal caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. In the altar, privately and publicly, is your provision. I read a story about a trucker, his, a small trucking firm. He's now up to $27,000 in fuel a week. He's saying that uh, private companies are dropping all over the country. They're not even on the road anymore. Common staples and need items all over the country are going to be sparse because there's no one to transport them because no one can afford to keep the trucks rally. We need to be praying like never before. There needs to be a quickening in the private and in the public altar. But I can tell you this, your God is not just a provider when everything is good. Your God is a provider when everything looks terrible. Come on, say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What do you need to be doing in a situation like this is seeking God more, not less. More emphasis on that private and public altar, not less. Amen. Yes, you need to be in faith. You need to be sowing. You need to be confessing. You need to be doing all the things you're taught to do. But there's a direct connection between the altar and provision. Raise your hand if you could use some provision of some kind. 
by and large, any day of the week, you can pray it in. Early in the days of KCM Ministries, Jerry Savelle went to work for the Copelands. <laughs> uh, he told Jerry, uh, we feel you're supposed to be a part of this ministry. We don't have anything to pay you, so you'll have to believe your salary in every week. In that first meeting, he had a wife and two little kids at home, and left her with nothing, hardly. She had just a few uh, dollars in her hand. And she got to church that night, and she understood the principle of seed time and harvest, and she gave, she gave what she did have for that three-week period in the offering. And before she left, somebody had slipped a $100 bill in, in her pocket. Amen. Taking care of her. But there he is out there serving the man of God with no real money coming in. And so when he was, when he was told that after his dad, A.W. Copeland, who actually ran the books, he was an insurance salesman for years, but actually, when he called and said, look, we paid the bills, but there's nothing left over for salary, he told Jerry, you're going to have to pray this in because it's not there. So they're on one side of a hotel room, and Jerry's on the other, and all of a sudden, they hear this man furiously praying, a storm up, amen. He's just praying and seeking God, praying and seeking God, praying and seeking God. Eventually, they got a call from A.W. Copeland. He said, hey, you know, somebody said they were supposed to turn this in earlier. You know, forgot to do so and ran it over to the office. We can make payroll this week. And Gloria said, Kenneth, should we tell Jerry? So don't leave him alone. He'll pray in next week's salary as well. Just let him go. <laughs> the good news is you can. If he provided here, he'll provide for you. Come on, say, he's my God. He's my provider. I can ask. And he'll supply. Amen. God is wanting you to have a return to the altar in your life, privately and publicly. I don't know what your personal prayer life is like. I don't know where your heart is in those things. All I can tell you is that there is a correlation between willingness to be in a public altar and what we do privately with God, and they're both important. And the chance is today to return, amen, to the altar in your life. Look at somebody and tell them, return to the altar. There's only so much you can accomplish in your flesh. Amen. There's only so much you can do. And so I want to just leave you with these four principles. And the first one won't surprise you at all. Repent. Write it in big letters. R-E-P-E-N-T. Repent. Repent for what? Repent for avoiding the altar. Privately. And publicly. Repent for not going to him. Do you know that you and I have a new and living way opened up by the blood of Jesus Christ? We get the right to talk to the living God. We get to commune with the God of the universe. Amen. Who knows everything. Who has everything. Who is all powerful. Just simply say to yourself, you know, I, I repent of this in Jesus' name. Number two, remove all those foreign altars to foreign gods and priorities in your life. Here's what you have to understand about, about altars. You will either fashion and honor an altar unto the Lord privately and publicly, or you will build an altar unto something else. Human beings are wired to the altar. And I don't know what else has become the priority. 
if you look at your checkbook, forget your checkbook, just go online and see what you have, amen? <laughs> Nobody looks at a checkbook anymore. But look at your finances and look at your time, and it will tell you a lot about where your altar has been built. Is it God? Is it the things of God? Is it something else? Listen, that's a, that's a discussion for you to have, but you need to tear those things down. When the book of the law was written, the first thing that Josiah wanted to do was restore what God's word says. Before it was even discovered, he found these high places and these astropoles and these places for worship of deities that were not the one true God, and he tore them down. I don't know what they are in your life, so how in the world can I tear them down? But you can ask the Spirit of God to tell you and tear those things down. Turn to somebody and tell them, they turn to God and tear those altars down. What are you left with? Private altar to God. You might think in terms of things you put before God, you know, habits, things you spend time on. Amen. I mean, I, I laugh about this, but and I'm okay with, with uh, you know, video games. I'm okay with the technology that's out there. But when I hear about people who actually put man diapers on so they don't have to get up and go to the bathroom while they're playing video games who are so addicted, or they don't go to work, or they don't tend to their family, my brother, my sister, you have got a false altar in your life. Amen. There are some people that do that with various activities, entertainment. They do, some people do that with recreation. Can I tell you something? You know, I love the water too, but guess what? The water didn't redeem me. Are you here today? It was Jesus' blood that redeemed me. I'd say that the altars are going to be different for different people in this room. Amen. Some people have built an altar out of some person in their life. Amen. Somebody asked me, Pastor, what's the number one reason somebody transitions in or out of a church? The number one reason is a guy or a girl. Starting out a relationship with somebody by walking away from the altar of God is a poor way to start your relationship. Amen. For different people, it could be, you know, you work, that's great, but some people turn work into a life itself. Forget about work-life balance. How about work-altar balance? Amen. There's some people, literally, that they don't get called in all the time. Uh, they don't get scheduled all the time. They volunteer. They want to be out of the house of God. They want to make money rather than worship God. Can I tell you something? If you worship God, you won't have to worry about making the money. God will make sure you're taken care of. Amen. I don't know what it is. All I can tell you is if, if we've not been at the altar privately and publicly, we repent, and then we have to do more than that. We have to tear those things down. How many will ask the Holy Ghost if you have some in your life, and you'll just respond? And sometimes they're real subtle, and sometimes they are as obvious as the day is long. Returning to the altar is predicated on you removing these Altars to false gods that never should have been there in the first place. Number three, rebuild. Rebuild what is broken in your communion with God. Start over and start again. Just like Abraham, it takes time and effort to build and restore the altar of your life. You can establish an altar, amen, again, of praise in your own life. Say it, I'm going to praise him. You can reestablish an altar of prayer. Say it with me, I'm going to pray. 
You can reestablish an altar of promise where God gives you promises. And what's your response? I'm just going to sit down here at this altar and give you all the more praise and thanksgiving. And honor. I mean, you know, he's a God of promise and he keeps his promises. At that altar of promise, you can just thank him for all the promises he's kept. All the things that he has done. Raise your hand if he has been good to you. Go raise it up high and wave it if he's been good to you. You can always have at that altar a time of great thanksgiving for the promises he's already kept. And the last, you can build that to altar of provision where you know that I'm going to seek his face and he's the one that's going to come through. Amen. God is calling you to return to the altar. And that implies that we might have been away from it. And even if you're there physically, how many of some folks are in church physically, but they're not there mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? How did you learn that, Pastor? About the first week I took over a pastorate. Took me a long time to figure that one out. The second thing I learned was uh, don't preach based on responses you get. Because a face that looks like the one that's engaged oftentimes is the one that will do nothing with the word. And the one that looks like they're in la-la land is the one meditating the most on what's being said. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, return to the altar. Repent, remove, rebuild, and then number four, remain. This time, say it with me, this time, this time you're going to keep it up. This time, you're going to keep up the private altar. This time, you're going to keep up your involvement in the public altar. You're going to make it the highest priority of your life. Remember what Gloria Copeland said, in your consistency lies the power. Say that with me, in my consistency lies the power. Uh, you may not see bells and whistles the first couple of times you pray or the couple of times you come to a prayer meeting or the few times you come to an altar, whatever, but guess what? You hang in there and you keep honoring God and keep returning, you're going to see amazing things happen in your life. Say it one more time. In my consistency lies the power. Say it again. Lies the power. Say it again. Lies the power. Amen. What's going to happen when I go back to the altar? You're going to have several things uh, that you're going to notice in your life. And using Brother Trask as an example, you're going to automatically be more loving and kind with people. His love and grace is just going to flow through you to other people. You can always tell somebody who's in that place of private and public altar work and prayer because they have a spirit about them. You can't really put your finger on it, but there's just something about them that you know they walk with God. Not perfect. We're not talking about that. But there's something about them. That person is victorious in their daily life. Say victorious. Say it. They're tender-hearted. They're joyful. They're peaceful. They're faith-filled. And something that, uh, you know, Kelly and I got into a conversation this morning. The first thing she said was, don't share my conversations. <laughs> But, uh, but this, I'm sorry, was just too good. How do you know if you listen? <laughs> you're, you're thinking I'm going to tell about a hair story, aren't you? How? Huh? The color of the hair. Yeah. Um, the, the concept of, of resilience came up. 
How does somebody get saved, enter into service in a church or what they even call lay ministry or full-time ministry? With all the craziness, how do they maintain and survive all those years? And look, if you've been in a church a day, you've seen some craziness. There's some crazy folk up in every church. And if you won't squirm, we won't know it's you in this church. You just sit still like this. Just nod and say, you're right about that. I've seen it myself. Yes, I have. Amen. And they're sitting right next to me. <laughs> how, how does somebody time and time and time again forgive and release, forgive and release, see things happen that are less than perfect and they keep on walking with God? Return to the altar privately and publicly, I see is the biggest factor in somebody who's able to keep doing that. When you get disappointed, go back to that altar. When you get hurt, go back to that altar. When you get frustrated, go back to that altar. When you have a loss, go back to that altar. When you don't know what to do, go back to that altar. When they're talking ugly about you, go back to that altar. When you see Christians act decidedly unchristian, go back to that altar. And if Jesus tarries 20, 30, 40 years from now, you'll still be walking with God. I don't know where people got the idea anyway that uh, if you get saved and you go to church with a bunch of saved people, that everybody's arrived and there'll never be anything that you see that you don't like. Who, who sold you that bill of goods? Can I give you a tip? People out there are like people in here. People are people. People are going to do what they're going to do. The only question is, what are you going to do about it? Your resilience is not based on what somebody does or does not do. It's based on what you do. Amen. Say, I have resilience because I keep going back over and over and over to the altar. Amen. Have you ever just once just caught Michael out of the corner of your eye in the middle of a worship service? Zoom into the altar like Mario Andretti. <laughs> you can't help but see it. He's not doing it to be seen. He's doing it because it's a special place in his heart. And if you and I can zoom back to the altar, amen, if he can do it, guess what? So could you. Amen. Well, I don't have a motor. He has a motor. <laughs> I just want you to stand to your feet today and just start by giving him a hand clap, receiving what he has for you today. Just receive what he has for you today.